Hello and welcome to Sports Best Friends Stories, a podcast that is getting a glimpse at the executive lounge. I'm Big T and sitting patiently across from me today is a man who is an executive extraordinaire. He holds a Bachelor of Commerce degree from UNSW, a Bachelor of Law from UNSW, a Master's of Law degree specializing in sports law from the University of Melbourne. He is a man that has created a lot of success at the West Tigers and then moved that winning culture to New South Wales Rugby League in 2013. He oversaw the creation of the New South Wales Rugby League Centre of Excellence and hopefully will leave this podcast in a better state that he found this. Please welcome the Chief Executive Officer at the New South Wales Rugby League, David Trodden. Thanks, Big T. No, what, a, what, a great, uh, what a great introduction that was. I'm not sure that I can really claim credit for all of those things you're giving me credit for, but I'm happy to um, be associated with them all. But if something happens, if something bad happens while you're at the top, it's your fault. I get the blame for it. Yeah, There's so no question the, about that. <laughs> so when the good things happen, we'll blame you as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, pleased, I'm pleased with that. Um, Working assumption, that's good. <laughs> now, you're not the first lawyer we've had on the show. In fact, you're not even the third. But I love to ask them, is this the first time that you've been set to by cross-examination? No, unfortunately. <laughs> I've, had, I've, had, uh, I've had a couple of guys at cross-examination. None of them are, uh, none of them are particularly uh, enjoyable. I'm hoping this is going to be the, very first, <laughs> the, the, the most enjoyable cross-examination I've, um, I've uh, been through so far. Well, let me know how we go. When studying law, I mean, sports law sounds intriguing. It sounds like you you loved sport and you're interested in law, and then you found that they put the two together. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's a that's a fairly um, accurate assessment of what happened. See, uh, um, I, I don't actually know what sports law is. It's a whole lot of things you know, because it's uh, it's there's no there's no there's no one body of law that you would call sports law. I right. suppose it's a whole lot of different sections of law as they're applied to sport, whether it's contract law or criminal law mm. um, or, or uh, trade practices law or employment law. It's all of those things and how they're applied to sport. And um, one of the things that I actually found, Big T, was that um, sport, I reckon, is an amazing um, educational motivator. Right. And the law can be a really um, dry topic in many instances, but uh, when you apply it to something that you're passionate about, yeah. I mean, you, you could be talking about contract law and you could be, uh, your lecturer could be sending you to sleep. But when you apply it to something that you're passionate about, such as sport, mm. and, you're, and, you're, and you're really applying the dry legal um, <laughs> uh, topics to something um, that's very real mm. and something that you understand well, um, I think the law takes on a whole new meaning and, and a bit of magic associated with it as well. And I found it a really a great motivator in terms of um, uh, learning the law and, uh, and, and how to uh, apply it best. Right. And so when you were doing your law and commerce degrees, were you thinking about getting in a rugby league afterwards? No, not really. I mean, most, most, of, the, most of the things that have happened in my life have sort of almost happened by uh, accident. I right. haven't really planned that much. Geez, you're doing well for a whole bunch of accidents, mate. <laughs> no, but I... But I um, I, I've always been, uh, you know, from the moment I was a young boy, uh, I played a lot of sport when I was growing up. I love sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, played a lot of cricket, a lot of soccer, a bit of rugby league, a bit of rugby union. Um, and uh, never never good enough um, at any of those mm-hmm. things to make... Uh, You're in the right place, career, mate. <laughs> <laughs> to make a career out of it. Um, always went okay at, at, uh, at school and sort of um, and fell into the law. And, uh, but, but, um, 
sports always been there in the background, you right. know, and so um, so the opportunity to become involved in sport in an administrative sense um, uh, almost happened by accident. But when it did happen, it was sort of it seemed quite natural. And uh, you know, I don't, I, I still have a practicing certificate as a lawyer. I don't practice day to day anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that there's not a day that goes by in my in my working life, even now, where I don't apply yeah, well. my legal background. So yeah, it's a it's a really useful discipline to have. Yeah. And thinking about you back as a kid, how did you originally get into rugby league? How, were you a fan when you were a kid? Well, yeah, I've always been I've always been a big fan. I mean, growing up, uh, so my my family is a sort of a. A multi-generation uh, Balmain family. Um, <gasps> Dad, Dad was born in a house in Bradford Street in Balmain that he lived pretty much his whole his whole life, and he's still alive, yeah. but he doesn't live there anymore. But in those days, you're a sort of multi-generation Balmain family, and and supporting the Tigers was sort of uh, something that everybody in Balmain yeah. did. So it wasn't something that I ever have a recollection of making a conscious decision to do. Yeah. And uh, my earliest sort of memories of being a Tigers fan were in were when the Tigers won the competition in 1969. And you don't rugby, look old enough, hold on, 69. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was really? I'm plenty old enough, yeah. Okay. But um, rugby league in those days was a little bit different from what it is today. I mean, there were quite a few of the, the Bowmane team that won the competition that year who actually were Bowmane board and bred, but actually still lived in Bowmane. Wow. There were guys like Gary Leo and John Spencer both come from the East End at Bowmane. Um, and uh, Len Colleen, who was a South African, you know, he, he lived in the area and worked in the area. Arthur Beetson, who didn't play the grand final, uh, lived in the area and worked in the area. And so there were guys that you, you used to see. Far um, out. used to see on a day-to-day basis mm. in your, your sort of general movements around Balmain. And wow. so, um, I mean, that's that's the first recollection I can have of really, of really uh, you know, falling in love with the Tigers. And, yeah. It was funny growing up in Balmain Big T, so this is this is going to sound, uh, I'm going to make myself sound really stupid now to you <laughs> and your listeners, but I grew up with this thought that if you came from Balmain, you were somehow really special and that no matter what you wanted to do in life, it was uh, coming from Balmain was a ticket to uh, success because, you know, at that time the, the Tigers had just won the rugby league competition. There was a guy by the name of um, Dave Renneberg who was from Balmain who was uh, for a short time uh, Australia's opening bowler in their in their cricket test wow. team? Uh, there was Dawn, of course, yeah. Fraser, who had uh, you know the, the greatest sportswoman that will ever be, I reckon. Uh, you know, a little time after there were, I went to school at Fort Street, and there were guys like Neville Rand and John Kerr, mm. who were, who went who went to Fort Street, who came from Bowmain, and uh, you know even the best crooks in the world like Lenny McPherson <laughs> and Stan Smith came from Bowmain. So I sort of thought. <laughs> Wasn't until some time later that I worked out that it, right. the, you know the connection uh, didn't necessarily uh, give you a ticket to that much, but I, right. but I genuinely thought for a while that coming from Bowman was <laughs> was really special. Did, I still think, and I still I still do think it's really special. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, did you go to any games? And and please shout me down if this is now because I don't. I'm a bit hazy with my history here. We we started playing at Lycott Oval. In the in the they opened it in thirty seven or something, so we were definitely playing there. Yeah. You didn't see us play at Birchgrove or anything like that. No, 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 okay, no, okay, okay. no. I think it was about the nineteen forties or something like that that they started playing it. Like they okay. played average more Oval for a little while yeah. prior to that too. You know, yeah. but Birchgrove was sort of long gone. Uh, yeah, okay. By the time uh, my dad can remember the Tigers playing there, but wow. um, but that was long gone uh, as a sort of an elite rugby league ground by uh, yeah, yeah. not that old big team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Donny was also one of the people who painted the. Pause on the ground. Am I remembering yeah. that story right? Yeah, yeah. And and I'm so still proud of this. Anytime we walk anyway, because I think someone did yeah. them again 
in the, in the middle of the O's around when we went to that other grand final. Some yeah. people did some new ones. And I still love them. I point them out anytime I go past them, you know, I try and stand on them or yeah. whatever. And I'm doing them if we ever make it back there. Are you well, also the kind of person who wants that to happen? Totally. Or? So if you, Great. so I live in Oxford Street in Roselle. Uh, at the time of the 2005 grand final, right. if, and if you walk down Oxford Street, Roselle, I woke up on the morning of grand final day and somebody had put some paws out the front of... Uh, your place. My, my someone place, you don't yeah. know. So, so I found out subsequently. Uh, I thought you were going to say it was you. No, someone, no, it wasn't oh, me. Wow. It, was, it wasn't me, but um, but I found out subsequently uh, we were able to identify a, a culprit. Can I, call a, <laughs> can I call a person a culprit? But yeah, they're probably still there, actually. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love them. I, I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, now, you became the chairman of, of the Bowman Tigers. How did you get that role? Again, pretty much by accident. So, <laughs> so what happened? So... I had some close friendships amongst the uh, the the generation of guys that played for Balmain in the the late eighties and the nineties. Wow! And, um, so I grew up with a lot of those guys, and uh, when I became a solicitor, I did a bit of legal work for them. And around the late nineteen nineties, the Balmain, and so I was a member of the footy club. Yep. Uh, but it, but the football club was a really heavily charged political environment in the late nineteen nineties because there was a lot of discussion about mergers mm. and Super League and all of those sorts of issues. And so in the late nineteen nineties, there were a couple of really contentious elections for board positions because there was you know there were strong differing opinions about the the future direction that the club should take. And uh, in nineteen ninety nine, there was a there was an election for the board of directors and and the major issue then was whether there should be a merger either with the Parramatta Club or the Western Suburbs Club with the key candidates and so at that time uh, I'd I'd never ever contemplated standing for the board or never had any ambitions to do anything like that and um, a life member of the club um, actually approached me and he said would you be interested in standing and he he knew that that my views about the club were sort of aligned with um, with his and he said if you stand uh, you know we'll um, get behind you and give you some support and um, also had some support. Wayne Pierce was the coach at that stage who is a year or so older than me, but I'd but I'd played a lot of cricket with him growing up, so wow. knew him very well and uh, proud proud to say he's a sort of a lifelong mate of mine. Wow. Um, so I stood and there were there were twelve people who stood for six positions and so I was number seven on the list, so I missed out by six votes. And so that was going to be the one and only time I ever right. I ever stood, you know, and I thought I, I gave it a crack and didn't work out. So Bert move on. But what then subsequently happened was that a decision was made uh, some months after that for the club to merge with Western Suburbs to form West Tigers. And when that happened, three out of the six board members resigned because I was the sort of next one in the queue. Ah. John Chalk, who was then the chairman, invited me to come onto the board, which I did. You know, the initial couple of years of West Tigers, you know, they were fraught with difficulty, Mm. both financial difficulty and off-field difficulty. And it was a really it was a really difficult time for, uh, particularly for John Chalk, but for some other guys, he wore, you know, paid a really big personal price for the position that he took. And um, so after um, I'd been on the board for about eighteen months or so, he decided he'd had enough, wow. and, um, and he stood down as chairman, but stayed on the board. And you know, I looked around, and, and nobody else was putting their hands up. So. <laughs> So it was me, but yeah. you know, uh, so that was, uh, so I became chairman, I think in about 2003, 2002, 2003, okay. something like that. And uh, I hadn't been on the board that long, but um, remarkably at West Tigers in particular, things turned around really quickly because at about the same time as I became chairman shortly after that, Tim Sheens was appointed the coach and, right. uh, you know, the things really took off from there. Mm. And and when you say you had, the, the person before, when they were trying to put you up and you had the, your ideals aligned, were you pro-West or were you pro-Parramatta or which way were you I was going? Actually, 
I was actually anti-emerger at all because okay. um, because my view was that had Balmain remained um, firm, that the NRL wouldn't have had the capacity to kick both mm. Balmain and South out of the competition. Mm. And you know, finances weren't weren't great, but I thought, well, if you've got a license to play in the competition, you'll find a way. But so I actually didn't support a merger at all at that stage. Wow. But my view was also that once a decision is made by a a fairly large yep. majority, you accept the decision. And yep. so you've got two alternatives. Either you respect the views of the majority and you and you crack on and support it, or alternatively you walk away. And so I decided to crack on and support it. Yeah. And what a great political, as a lawyer way of looking at it. We've decided <laughs> this, that's now what we're doing. Yeah. And what did that role then entail? Once you had it and you saw that um, Chalk... You know, said this is a lot for me. You took it on. What did? Oh, what Chalk, did... Well, Chalky, it, it wasn't sort of too much for Chalky. Chalky. Um, the period of time he took so it on he, was. He was. Uh, he's you know, passed away recently, but has always been. He's a lifelong friend of mine, and um, and did a great job. But people took a, a personal set against him at the time because right. he had a view about the future of the Tigers that differed from theirs, mm. and you know, he had death threats and. Oh God. And people, you know, throwing rotten eggs at his doors, and then, yeah, he paid a, a, a personal price wow. for his views that a lot of people wouldn't have been prepared to pay. And, I, and you know, he probably got to a point where he thought, "Well, you know, why am I doing this enough?" Yeah. enough? And so he moved on, and which he couldn't really criticise him for. No. What he did though was that he stepped aside from the Balmain role and took up a role with New South Wales Rugby League, which ultimately led him to be um, the chairman of the Australian Rugby League. So you know, oh, right. he, he retained a strong connection with rugby league administration. But what did you do in that role as chairman? What, what does that role mean? Oh, well, I mean, it's a leadership role for the club, isn't it? And um, it's an interesting role to take because a lot of people um, have different views about what you should do in those in those sort of roles. But um, there's a real balance that you have to uh, maintain between being the custodian, I guess, of the strategic decisions of the club and guiding the future of the club, uh, but at the same time never interfering in the day-to-day. Uh, right stuff that should be uh, properly left to management and coaches and mm. all of those sorts of things. So you never, ever want to decide that you're more uh, qualified to pick a team than a coach or more qualified to negotiate sponsorships than uh, chief executives, but playing a support role and p- playing a role in, t- in terms of guiding the strategic direction of the club is a really important. And so strategic direction is... Uh, what is strategic direction then? Like, in a, oh, what's well, the big picture kind of thing? Or? Yeah, well, there were big strategic d- decisions that West Tigers had to make in some of those early years. I mean, a good example of them um, is that uh, the club in the early days really struggled financially trying to make uh, a success of playing at two different home grounds, right. neither of neither of which were set up to provide strong corporate uh, mm. income, which is where professional sport these days where all the home ground, uh, 75% of the money comes from corporate, corporate. stuff. Wow. So, so one of the big strategic decisions we made at that stage was to take uh, a number of games uh, a year to um, ANZ Stadium. So yeah, we were right. uh, we I think we were the first uh, club. Uh, I think Souths or Canterbury may have taken all of their games, but we made a decision to take six home games and it really sort of secured the, the financial uh, future of the club at that stage. So Excellent. big big strategic decisions like that. I mean, that, that wasn't the most popular thing um we ever did, but it was uh, it was at the time very necessary, mm. uh, and uh, you know probably 
what we're trying to do is to make sure that the um, the financial future of the club was um, secured at the same time as not sacrificing all of the great things that are that are to be had by playing games at Leichhardt Oval yeah. and also Campbelltown Sports Grounds. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Now, during the decade plus um, you were there, uh, we were the. Australian under-18s champion, the New South Wales Rugby League club champions, and back-to-back SG ball champions. Yeah. Why were we so successful when you were there? Oh, well, we had a, a really good crop of young juniors, and we had a, we had a great coach, uh, a couple of great coaches. We had uh, – so the, the team that won the first SG ball competition that you referred to there, so that was a, a team that had halves uh, of Luke Brooks and Mitchell Moses yeah, right. and uh, – a whole lot of really once-in-a-generation sort of players. Andrew, a guy called Andrew Webster, who's currently the um, assistant coach at West Tigers, was their coach. And, uh, you know, they played against a, a Canberra team that had Milford and a whole lot of other good players as well. But one of the things that Bowman Junior League is really only a very small junior league, but they really massively overachieve in terms of the quality of the players right. that they produce. And we've always had great people who have led the play development in the, in the Bowman Junior League. Currently, in the last sort of 10 years or more, you know, Paul Siren's been in charge of that. And there's, yeah. there's, you look, I look around all the clubs in Sydney, I don't see any Paul, anyone that comes close to what Ciro um, delivers. Uh, wow. And so a guy who, despite all these great honours in the game, is not scared of um, manning the barbecue with Blocker or <laughs> right. whatever. But, I mean, his heart and soul is in the club. Yeah. And um, and you, you can't sort of fake that stuff. You can't. And, and people see that and they buy into it. And, right. um, I mean, even, even though at the moment the Tigers don't have many Bowman Genius playing in the in the West Tigers team at the moment. You, you look around though, and uh, you see the two Sirenans playing first grade, Junior Totola playing first grade at Souths. Um, Adam Dewey's playing at Souths. Uh, Mitchell Moses at Parramatta. Um, Taniela Paseka at Manly. I mean, there's, there's there's players everywhere. And for one of the smallest you know, junior leagues in Sydney, um, it's an amazingly uh, fertile area for uh, producing great footy players. I don't know what it is, but but they over they overachieve. That's because great people come out of Balmain. You said yeah, it before. I think, well, <laughs> well it's, that's got something to do with it. I think actually. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Now you're the current CEO of New South Wales Rugby League. What does that what does that role entail? Well, it's a really broad ranging uh, role because um, you know at one level it it, it entails. Um, being in charge of the state of origin team, so uh, that must be so you know, exciting. Probably, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. The biggest was well, great when you win. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not so great when you lose. But you know, we're close to the biggest sporting brand uh, in the country. I'd reckon so. Mm. That's really exciting. Um, well, name a bigger but, one. Well, I don't think there is one. Yeah. So, but but it's everything from that at one level to managing uh, or overseeing competitions where under six boys and girls play at the other level. So we we're the one organisation in the country that covers the whole rugby league participation spec from the under six boy or girl that starts to play right the way through the very elite level. And wow. we get compared to the Queensland rugby league all the time that right. actually quite different to them in that every uh, NRL club, every New South Wales based NRL club is a member of uh, the New South Wales rugby league, which is distinct uh. from the Queensland rugby league where none of the Queensland NRL clubs have any connection with the Queensland mm. rugby league. So, so we're, we're actually the one organization that covers the whole gambit. So, Probably two thirds of the players that play uh, the game in Australia are, are come under our control. Two thirds of the NRL wow. clubs come under our control. So that's uh, that gives us a fair bit of influence in the game. Yeah. And so, what do you do? 
I mean, do you making you can't do things like the ANZ ANZ Stadium strategic plan? So you're making. I mean, do you do strategic stuff like that with this or? We're yeah, we're doing strategic stuff all the time. I mean, one of the one of the biggest strategic um, changes that's happened a couple of weeks ago, actually. So for for eighty years in uh, the game, there, there have been two different governing bodies in rugby league and New South Wales and New South Wales Rugby League, which is the overall governing body, and the Country Rugby League, who right. Who's a sort of a, a semi-autonomous governing body for regional New South Wales? One of the things that we did on the 18th of October a couple of weeks ago was to merge those two organisations okay. together, so that uh, so there's now a single stream of administration in the game, and so that's one of the biggest strategic things we've done. But there have been other things like you know developing a centre of excellence, which you spoke about in your introduction, which is a sort of a 35 million dollar facility, wow. um, but it's a sort of a it speaks hopefully to the to the high performance orientation of um, the organisation, not just by reference to the state of origin team, but when I say high performance orientation, I mean high performance attitude in relation to absolutely everything right. um, we do. Mm. It's an excellent building. I mean, is that where you get to do most of your work? Is that That's where, where we're based. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I've got to go there for a couple of things, for refereeing things and stuff like that, and it's just great to even be in that foyer. The fact yeah. that they have that history and, and all that kind of stuff for people to see, yeah. you know, it's it's it was back tingling yeah. to be around. It's a great so I think, setup. I think, I think if you um, – I mean, as an, as an administrator, I think uh, if you expect people, whether they be players or coaches or whatever, if you expect a lot of them – and and you have an expectation, but you don't give them the very best facilities within which to perform. Uh, you give them excuses for mediocrity. Ah, uh, I see. And so, one thing you never want to do is to um, is to give anyone any excuses, and you want to motivate them to do their their very best. And I think giving them the best facilities acts as acts as a fairly powerful motivator. Yeah. And since you've taken on that role, what have you learnt about football? What have I learned? That's an interesting. That's an interesting question. I think uh, I think one of the things that um, one of the things that you have to learn very quickly is uh, to learn patience mm. and um, and to learn uh, persistence as well, and to understand that if you have a strategy and you're confident that the strategy is correct and you're on the right path, that you need to be strong enough to stay the course, mm. even if you're not immediately successful. You need to be patient and have confidence that what you're doing is um, the right thing, and uh, and and you know have the confidence and the patience to know that if you keep doing it, eventually uh, success will come your way. I mean, I think one of the things that you learn is that if you oscillate between different strategies, what you do is you consign yourself to a sort of a boom bust right. sort of cycle. You need if you ha- if you hope to have sustained success, then you need to have stability, and that means having patience and persistence as well. Right. And, and speaking of that, when you were talking about the prolonged stick to the course, for some reason I started thinking about Freddie. Have, have, what do you think is um, Brad Fittler's greatest strength there as coach? Freddie's a wonderful leader. He's a guy who is hugely underestimated um, because uh, what people see, people watch Channel 9 on a Friday night and they see, <laughs> and they see the clown on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and so he, he cultivates that image because he, he gets paid to be a bit of a clown right, on TV, right. but he's not a clown at all. Mm. Um, you know, he's uh, – there are – great leaders have a sort of uh, qualities that are really difficult to define, but, but 
people listen to them and they and they want to follow them. Mm. And, you know, I mean, a great example is Freddie uh, convincing the team that if they take their shoes off and and walk around on the uh, on the grass, that they'll be uh, energised from the minerals. And I mean, who, who knows whether that's true or not? But they'll <laughs> but they'll believe it. Yeah. And you know, if they believe that, you can guarantee that they that they'll buy into all of his football strategies as well. But he's a really courageous guy as well. You know, he in 2018 he. Um, in his very first game as a coach, a state of origin coach, he picked 11 debutants. Mm. So just to put that in context, no one's ever done it before. Like mm. the, the great the great coaches like the Wayne Bennett's, the Craig Bellamy's, the Jack Gibson's, the Tim Sheen's, uh, Mal Meningas, none of them have ever done it before, but he mm. did it in his very first game. Mm. And... Um, and I think that people thought that that was, uh, you know, that was Freddie just doing things off the top of his head. But in terms of staying the course, you know, the thing we were talking about before, Freddie, um, while Laurie Daly was the coach, Freddie was in charge of all of our pathways teams, our under-16s, our under-18s, our under-20s. Okay. So there wasn't one of those 11 guys that he picked that hadn't been in one of his teams right. all the way through. So he knew all of them. Yeah. They absolutely knew him. And mm. so there wasn't a single, you know, that wasn't a stab in the dark. There wasn't a single risk that he took wow. in picking those guys. And yeah. There was a lot more uh, There was a lot more science to what he did than people, I think, fully appreciated at the time. Yeah. Nevertheless, it was a really courageous thing to do. And then, you know, this season um, – we played poorly uh, in our final game in 2018. We played poorly again uh, in the first game in 2019. And um, and Freddie sort of identified um, a couple of problems at the last game in 2018 that recurred in 2019. He had the courage to drop a really high-profile yeah. player and uh, made a couple of other changes. made seven changes in all and, you know, we lose in Perth, and uh, people are calling for his head because people were calling for his head before the mm. before that game. That was again a really courageous thing to do. But when times get a little bit tough like that, uh, real leaders stand up, and uh, you know he stood up, and he's a that's his in my view that's his greatest quality. He's a great leader. Yeah, right. Yes, fantastic. Let's um, have a look at another success of yours. The commission we had to have. Talk me through how, how did that book come about? Uh well. Great title. <laughs> I, uh, well, it came about because, uh, again, getting back to something we discussed earlier, a bit of a, you know, my, my, my professional career has been around the, the law and my passion's been around sports. So when the Australian Rugby League Commission came into being, I had a, a fair amount to do with its creation. So uh, at, at the time, I was uh, the chairman of, a, of the NRL clubs group that was sort of lobbying to make that happen. And I finished up. Uh, as a member of the board of the New South Wales Rugby League and the Australian Rugby League that made the decision um, to have it happen. And so um, so I knew a lot about, I was heavily involved in the creation of it and a lot of the stuff around the creation of it. And um, and then, you know, the, the, criticism, the, the, the criticisms have been made in the early years of the commission, a lot of debate about whether it's been successful or not and whether, uh, what what changes, if any, should be made to mm. it. And, um Interestingly, uh, there's, there's not much literature around about the, the sort of governance history of rugby league. Yeah. In fact, probably none, and probably because it's it's not a really exciting uh, <laughs> topic to write about. But I thought uh, I had um, I had done, as you mentioned before, a master's degree at Melbourne Uni, and I wrote a thesis uh, on that subject. And 
So I sort of just expanded the thesis and uh, did, a, did, a, did a book. It was really a bit of a personal project yeah. rather than anything else, but, but uh, I've always wanted to write a book, so there you go, I've done yeah. it now. And the fact that you, you know everyone has a book in them, and yours is about rugby league and like the creation <laughs> of a thing, what a great idea. Yeah. And in it, it talks about how, I mean, that, that board has to look after all of rugby league really in Australia, so it's looking yeah. after the business side, which is the NRL, and, you know, and its professionalness, and it's also looking at all of the... The junior league, as you were talking yeah. about before, which which I think, as you call it, recreational and as a recreational and cultural activity. Yeah, I don't think we've got that quite right just yet. That, that balance. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to ask you how how can you possibly? There's so many different um, outcomes and and things that they both want. Yeah. How could you possibly have one body that looks after yeah, that well, successfully? I think, I think that's a real struggle that uh, that we've got in a, in a in a governance sense at the moment because most of the decisions that are made by the commission at the moment they're made through a a real business lens mm. with a business focus, and I don't think they uh, they, they quite understand. So it's, it's an NRL focus. I mean, at the end of the day, the NRL just runs one competition, right? Or maybe two competitions now. They run an NRLW competition as well, but. The vast, the vast majority of the sport is actually has got nothing to do with business and nothing to do with the NRL. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all, as you said, cultural and social mm. and recreational and, um, and you know, um, th- that aspect of the sport really has no business component to it. There's no logic in in administering that component of mm. the sport on a, a sort of an independent business sort of basis. I mean, there's no reason why that level of sport should not continue to be run with a you know, for a democratic focus rather than a, yeah, yeah. a business focus. And so I'm, I'm not sure that we've got that 100% right. You know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I haven't really got all the answers about uh, how you get that right. But I do know that if you don't work hard on that balance and you get that balance wrong, ultimately, you know, that's to the, to the detriment of the sport because, I mean, it's the the social and the cultural and the recreational level of the sport that actually drives everything to do with the business side of it anyway. Mm. Yeah, without it, there is no business bit, no. yeah. And um, and your friend, your long term super best friend Wayne Pierce is on that as well. So he's doing, <laughs> yeah. he's doing an excellent job. Yeah. on there. Well, he's one guy. He's one guy that 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 has a. He's one. He's one of the guys on the commission uh, who has a sort of a multifaceted uh, view of the game. You know, as a, whether as a player, whether as a yeah. coach, whether as an administrator. You know, he's a he he's a guy that I have uh, um, a huge amount of time for, both mm. as a. Um, both as a friend and as a uh, as an administrator, mm. and has a Brad Fittler like leadership term where he talks and people listen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, well, let's pretend you're planning a new book, but this one's fictional. In this book, you get to go to a rugby league game with anyone in the world. Who would you go to a game with? I don't. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, uh, I, I I I can tell you plenty of people who I wouldn't want to go to. <laughs> Can I tell you that rather than – You've got a list I'm of people really, you're not going with. I'm in a really privileged position, you know, where I get to uh, I get to go to sporting events with um, a whole lot of people and rugby league people who I've grown up, you know, guys that have been my heroes yeah, as well. I've been growing up. And uh, and so I, I can't really think of a single person who, I'd, who I would say, you know, I'd really love to sit down for uh, – an hour and a half with that person, and uh, right. and uh, it's funny, you know, when I go to when I go to league games, at the, I'm, I'm, I sort of tend to um, tend to not want to uh, talk a whole lot to, right. to people or uh, <laughs> socially. In fact, in fact, you know, there are some people who you, you go to some state of origin games and you get you sit with people who might be sponsors who are invited who don't necessarily have a huge. Uh, Interest in the game mm. itself, but stuff that's associated with the game, and, and you know, 
sometimes sometimes you want to you want to just be left alone to uh, <laughs> watch the game and yeah, uh, yeah. rather than to pass by uh, with idle chatter with them. Anyway, right. that's that sounds terrible. <laughs> no, I'm completely with you. I shouldn't say that. I went to I went to a game. The only time I've been to a box at Leichhardt Oval uh, was this year, and I was that person. I was having such an incredible time. The box I was in had the most incredible people in it, and we were pumping the Cowboys. So it yeah. was a perfect thing where we just kept scoring so we all kept cheering but I didn't it wasn't close so I didn't have to ride every tackle yeah, and yeah. so I got to meet and chat with all these amazing people and every time I went to the bathroom yeah. there was another someone coming out of a, yeah. a broadcast box so yeah let, let, so let me so let me so let me just put put that, that final comment of mine in context too so um so sitting in uh in one of the corporate boxes that you're talking about at State of Origin 3 and so, um, so you know, we were, we played really poorly, as I said before, in Origin One. We had a great win in Origin Two. Uh, we we're leading by twelve points halfway through the second half in Origin Three. Um, James Maloney has a couple of chances to ice the game, and uh, Cameron Murray had one chance, I think. And uh, anyway, long story short, we didn't ice the game. A minute and a half from the end, the the twelve point lead has evaporated. And where even Stevens with Queensland and the person sitting next to me said, David, how fantastic is this? You know, what a great finish. And like, <laughs> and couldn't understand how I didn't think it was uh, yeah, right, right, fantastic right. at all because I could see my job um, <laughs> disappearing <laughs> before my very eyes. But this person had no – yeah. I mean, I don't begrudge that person having a view that it was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a fantastic finish but had no understanding about why I might have a, oh, okay, yeah. a different view. 30 seconds later, my view had changed. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you were agreeing with them. I was them. agreeing with yeah. <laughs> Opening champagne yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, just quickly on that, let's while well, we're on Tedesco, I mean, it must be great because you're a New South Wales person, so you get to see Tedesco. But as a West breaks Tigers fan, heart, it does breaks it. my heart that yeah. he's uh, – so, you, you you know, those players um, come along so rarely that mm. when you get them, you can't – shouldn't have brought him up. You just can't <laughs> – you just can't afford to let them go, can you? Yeah, well, here we go. Yeah. I mean, when you when the Roosters are the people you're against, you, you, they're the only ones who can afford to take him on. So that's you know that's what we get. Yeah. Okay, now uh, continuing our fictional idea, if you could go back in time to watch any game, which game would you go back and watch? I'd love to go back to um, April 1908 at Birchgrove Oval. And watch the Tigers in Western Suburbs. Yeah, isn't that as well magical that it was those two yeah, teams? Yeah, and magical that the Tigers won. Man. <laughs> Couldn't help slipping that get, in. That'll get me into trouble yeah. as well. <laughs> and what, what, are you, what are you seeing there? What, what do you think? I mean, are you there also for the crowd? Are you there just for the – because the gameplay is going to be very different. Yeah, I'm there because uh, you know, I sort of half grew up at Birchgrove Oval. I love Birchgrove Oval. I love the Tigers. Um, there's a special magic about uh, there's a special magic about that ground, and I would have I would have loved to um, have uh, been part of the excitement about the creation of something mm. really new. I mean, I, I love that you've gone to the administrative side straight away. Yeah. Your brain's accidentally but gone. Know, but I don't know whether I don't know whether the the, uh, the players and uh, the um, the administrators at the time fully appreciated what they were what they were creating. Mm. Um, but you know, that was such a bold such a bold thing to do and courageous thing to do. And mm. uh, yeah, that would have been great to be part of that. And also just like your mate Chalky, the the JJ Giltman ended up having to step down after a year yeah. and a half as well because he was in, you know, a whole bunch of yeah. hot water over the thing. It's a funny game, rugby league, because they're always doing something. I'd go back to the to the finals game in 2010 against the Dragons, and in that final series, 
I, we'd been amazing as a, I hope never to go back to that. <laughs> we'd had an amazing win against the Raiders, an amazing loss against the Roosters, and then the Dragons game that you know so much about. And I'd completely forgot about the would-be Lottie Takiri try until I read the article you'd written about it. Can you explain your award-winning article and what it was about for anyone who hasn't read it? Yeah, so so what happened? So we should have won the competition that year. Should right. have, should have, would have, could have. I mean, that was our competition to win that year. And so... Um, so what happened in that game was that uh, I think it was um, I think it might have been ten all or something like that, and uh, Lottie made a break down the left hand side of the field at ANZ Stadium. Uh, was tackled a guy by the name of Jeremy Smith, who was a forward that played for St George, um, uh, dropped on top of Lottie after he'd been tackled with his knees in his back. And so uh, in those days, some of those decisions got referred to the to the video referee without. Any shadow of a doubt, it should have been a penalty to West Tigers. It was within kicking distance. Roy Simmons, who was the assistant coach, was already saying, we'll take two. <laughs> um, and so went to the video ref. Um, the referee, the video referee, I've got it on uh, fairly good authority, was saying, well, that's a penalty. And there are a couple of other people in the video ref's box. Uh, Do you know who the referee was in the box at the time? Steve Clark. Steve Clark. And Steve Clark's bosses were in the boss in the box and uh, I think they disagreed with him so anyway so um, so no penalty play on Lottie played the ball went to Benji Benji kicked out on the full the ball went down the other end of the field Jamie Soward kicked a field goal mm. and pretty much the game was over but the really um, distressing thing was that um, the next day on exactly the same uh, video evidence that they said there was no penalty the NRL charged um, Jeremy Smith with um, a contrary conduct charge, mm. and Jeremy Smith pleaded guilty to it. Right, and he, he didn't miss the grand final because he uh, because he didn't didn't have sufficient carryover points. But it was just absurd in yep. my view that the, the same evidence that uh, a referee says there was no penalty that uh, you know that they charge a guy and he, and he um, uh, pleads guilty. Pleads to guilty. It. And so I, I wrote this article, sort of you know having a hypothetical uh, discussion about what would happen if we sued. Uh, the NRL on the basis that uh, the referee got it wrong. Mm. And, um, no, but didn't anyway. you, uh, from my understanding, you you put it all together and the NRL got, and you said, look, I, I'm actually not going to do it because I, the precedent that yeah, this would yeah, set would be yeah, terrible. We didn't, but we didn't do anything about it. Yeah, we didn't do but the fact it. that you could set it up and go, look, this yeah. is what actually happened, yeah. and they got. Yeah, we didn't do anything about it. But, I mean, the, the theory, the, the legal theory is, like, if you if you're a brain surgeon and you stuff up, somebody sues you. If you're mm. an accountant and you stuff up, somebody sues you. And, I mean, there's no there's no legal principle that says if you're a referee and you stuff up, you're somehow immune from mm. um, any prosecution. And you would never ever, you know, you never want to get to a point where, where um, you know, games are not decided until 10 o'clock um, on a Monday <laughs> morning when the Supreme Court opens. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, but I was really annoyed that the, um, you know, that West Tigers were just sort of brushed off right. by the NRL and they, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, characterised as whingers um, about the thing because the consequences of the, the consequences of that bad decision were really mm. astronomical for, because mm. as it turned out, I mean, that was probably the last chance that group of players had to win a competition yeah. because that team started to break up after that. You know, Gareth Ellis went back to England, uh, you know, a season or so later, Benji had gone to Rugby Union and um, uh, and so, you know, the chance to win a, a, a competition for that generation of players had, 
it sort of evaporated by then. Mm, that was that premiership window. Yeah. Well, it was the most well thought out and well planned ref's fault article I'd ever seen. And but, but I mean, it is great but, that you also didn't go through with it because, as you said in it, like, this would be crazy. Because if yeah. it was successful, which was, you predicted it would be from a legal standpoint, yeah. it would be. It was interesting because I, because um, as you said, I won a, I won an award uh, from the Australian New Zealand uh, Sports Lawyers Association about that. And um, did you know that award it, existed even before you got it? I mean, we, nah, yeah, no, nah, but I got, <laughs> but, um, but so I got, it got a reasonable amount of um, uh, you know critical acclaim that year. But interestingly, um, the next year, the guy that won the award the next year wrote wrote an article which basically tore my article to shreds. <laughs> Told told the uh, the legal world how uh, everything that I'd written was completely. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that was that was okay. Has he got a follow up book about the no, commission probably, that we had? Probably I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> He's never been CEO. Of he was right or I was right, but probably neither of us were right. <laughs> Um, so let's let's take stock of your rugby league life so far, reflecting on your introduction to the game, your time and success with Bowman and, and your leadership with West Tigers, your current role and continued success through New South Wales Rugby League, writing and watching the game for so long. What is your greatest rugby league memory? I don't know that I've got one. So winning West Tigers winning the comp in 2005 was fantastic. Where were you for that? Were you at the game? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah writing. I mean, the, the, I thought that year, you know, um, the, the Queensland, North Queensland goal kicker, we, we led by um, 12, I think, and North Queensland scored a try with five or six minutes to go and they had a kick from the sideline and North Queensland kicker, I think it might have been Bowman, rushed his kick and missed it. So the uh, so the margin was eight points with only a few minutes to go and it was actually the first time in the whole in the whole season that I thought, I thought, hang on a second, we might – we might win this competition. It took you thirty so, rounds and seventy nine minutes. So, it was so unexpected, you know, because right. we we sort of went win loss win loss right the way through the first round, and uh, we got on a bit of a roll after that. But we got so we played um, North Queensland in the first uh, week of the semis, and mm. um, you know the, the feeling was like we've never made the semis before. We had a big party, had a massive party at uh, ANZ Stadium. And I think the view was well if we. If we get uh, if we get knocked out here, it's been it's been great, hasn't it? And, <laughs> right. But we won by fifty, and then the next week, um, largest score ever in finals history. Next uh, next week, we had to play the Broncos. Um, nobody gave us a hope, mm. and uh, Benji beat, took an intercept, and then the game was over. Beat them as well after we'd been under massive pressure for the for the whole of the first half. Next week, we had to play St George, and St George were the raging hot favourites mm. that year. No, nobody gave us a hope, and again we. Um, uh, Benji you know, dummies off the scrum and scores. And Dean Hallett had a great game, <laughs> yeah. and um, and so and so there was no. There, it was a season where everything along the way was a wonderful surprise, right. and you know, you sort of get the feeling that the teams that win more regularly than 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 we did. I, I can't. I don't know that they would get the same high that we got yeah. um, because it was so unexpected that year. And then 2014, when we won. Um, Origin with Laurie Daly again. That that was sort of in the middle of the of the the run of the great uh, Queensland team, mm. and that was unexpected as well. And then the last two years of Origin have been have been fantastic for different reasons. But interestingly, you referred earlier to um, the the SG Warwins, and we won a club championship with Bowman. I reckon uh, I got just as big a kick out of um, seeing some young guys. Uh, win those competitions again, oh. again when they came um, against a background of you know no success whatsoever and uh, unexpected victories. I got just as big a kick out of that as I got out of anything. I reckon. Yeah, right. 
And so, David, why do you think you love rugby league? What does it have that has kept you tied to it your entire life? Uh, it's probably not just rugby league. It's um, it's sport. Mm. Um, rugby league just happens to be my sport, but I think it's probably true of most sports. I think the friendships that you develop, most of my, virtually all of the lasting friendships I've had in my life have been somehow based around uh, sport. Right. And it offers such a really special way. When you when when you achieve things, um, there's something really special about being able to share um, achievement with other people. Wow. And, and and also and also, you know, when you, if you when you go through the tough periods as, as well, I suppose if you go through that, those periods with other people as well, you develop a special bond with them. Mm. And um, and I think that's the thing that I find most. Um, attractive about involvement with sport you know the the friendships that you've got and the and the bonds that you develop with people because um th- those bonds are generally are there for you know forever pretty much yeah well said sir well thanks this has been so um interesting uh, uh, that's my final question and and comment did you have any before we finish probably not or probably uh, <laughs> i haven't uh, i'll be in trouble for uh, with all the the, the magpies fans. you know the magpies <laughs> got square with us so we had a so I'll finish on this, and then and then I'll be uh, then I'll be forgiven by all the Magpies fans uh, that listen to you. But um, so the the game in 1908 where uh, Balmain uh, beat uh, Western Suburbs at um, Birchgrove Oval, we actually recreated it in 2008 as a special um, centenary oh, of course, event. Right. Uh, but we're Scott Square and they beat us. So, <laughs> there you so go. the world has a special way of, um, <laughs> of evening things out, yeah. doesn't it? So we should leave it on that. Point, That's exactly we? right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, big thanks also to, to Paul Mertensen, our wonderful producer. Enjoy your sport for another week. Go and get David's book, The Commission We Had to Have, and we'll talk to you next time, sports best friends. Because I, because um, as you said, I won, a, I won an award uh, from the Australian New Zealand uh, Sports Lawyers Association about that. And uh, did you know that award it, existed even before you got it? I mean, no, we, yeah, no, but I got, <laughs> but, um, but so I got it got a reasonable amount of um, uh, you know critical acclaim that year. But interestingly, um, the next year, the guy that won the award the next year wrote wrote an article which basically tore my article to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, told told the uh, the legal world how uh, everything that I'd written was completely. <laughs>